0: Well, it's great to be back uh, this this morning just to be together and to worship God together. This is an interesting day in the history of Fellowship Bible Church, at least in my tenure um, being here. I don't know if many of you know this, but December 13th has kind of been a cr- critical day in the history of, of this church from year to year, particularly probably the first five years that I was here as pastor because this this actual Sunday or this weekend, we canceled church for almost five years straight because snowstorms happened on this weekend. And for whatever reason, God saw it fit that we would have one last weekend and, and shut the power off here or we would have been together last Sunday. And uh, yet this day seems to be uh, somewhat significant even today because as many of you know, today is Randy and Misty's last day here. Last day here. Grumble, grumble, grumble. mm. Yes, it is our their last day. And so I, I just say that at the beginning just to make sure that you uh, greet them, go up to them, kick them in the shins, whatever you have to do to injure them severely so that they will be unable to do what they're hoping to do. All, of course, in Christian love. We want to do that, right? <laughs> anyway, well, we will we will certainly miss you guys and, and uh, we're glad for what the Lord's accomplished over the 30 plus years you've been here. Well, let's just one more time bow before the Lord as we begin our morning. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. Lord, you are a gracious God. You have given us all we need for life and for godliness. You have given us your word. You have commanded that we trust you. And Lord, we want to do that. We want to do that with our whole heart. So help us to do that. Lord, help us to know your word that we would not be Taken captive by foolish things. Thank you for this morning. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin our time this morning as we return to our study of 2 Peter. I want to begin our time this morning by reading a few different passages to us. The first one that I want us to turn to is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we certainly know it well we oftentimes will spend time there around the springtime and easter because of the resurrection but i want to read some of these passages for us because uh, of what we are going to be talking about this morning the apostle paul says i make known to you brethren the gospel which i preached to you which also you received and which also you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Because I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of them whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So whether then it is I or they, so pre- so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how then do some say that he that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. And moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Because if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, of all men, we are most to be pitied. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. beginning in verse 9 after he had said these things of course Jesus had just been with the apostles the resurrected lord and after he had said these things he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing behold Two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passion and evil desires and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, but now you also put them all aside, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free men, but Christ is all and in all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the lord therefore comfort one another with these words turn to 2nd timothy chapter 4 2nd timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 i have fought the good fight Paul says, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. His appearing. Now turn to our study of 2nd Peter chapter 3. 2nd Peter chapter 3. Apostle Peter says, this is now beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring you up. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets <laughs> and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, It escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." some of you this morning may be asking yourselves as we read through those, why did you read through all those passages? And I read them because they all have a concurrent theme. They all speak to a concurrent theme. And the theme of all of them is the theme that is running in them all is anticipatory hope. Anticipatory hope. Anticipatory hope is central to you and I in our Christian faith. It is central to us as Christians. Anticipatory hope is a foundation stone of our very faith belief, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, the fact that Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens as Acts 1 shows us, the fact that he is going to return one day, as the Apostle Paul says in Second Timothy, the reality of those events and the anticipation of his return is our hope. That is our hope. In fact, I would go so far as to say that anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, anticipating the return of our Lord and Savior is the greatest motivator for our continued obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, I don't believe And I think the Bible indicates that there is no greater motivator for us to live out our faith in obedience to Jesus Christ than the reality and anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back. The day that Jesus Christ will return and set up his earthly kingdom, a kingdom in which righteousness will dwell A kingdom that has as its ultimate goal, the final doing away with all evil. That is the ultimate goal of our Christian faith. That we would one day be like Christ, sinless, undefiled. And because that is the case, Because that is the case, is it any wonder to us as Christians that the forces of evil, the prince of the power of the air, the kingdom of darkness, is it any wonder to us that they are continually at work to undermine and even deny that reality? That the forces of evil, that those who are against God in the spiritual realm, that their number one and ultimate denial is the reality of Jesus Christ returning. And yet, that is exactly what we see happening here in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, through the mouths of false teachers, through their mouths and through their lives, and in the lives of their unwitting victims, that both by attitude and by action, they are denying, they are rejecting, they are refusing to believe the return of Jesus Christ, which by way of implication is to deny that there is any coming judgment. To say that Jesus Christ is not going to return one day, to say that Jesus Christ will never set up a kingdom of righteousness here on this earth is to deny the very judgment that is coming when Jesus Christ does return. Therefore, to deny in attitude and action any aspect of the coming of Christ is to deny that God is true. Because God is the one who tells us that Christ is returning. And Peter, here in Second Peter, has been showing us this argument from the very beginning. He introduced the subject of the second coming and the judgment that would accompany it back in chapter 1. Notice in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, we're not telling you some story. We're not telling you some passed down through the ages oral Aesop's fable that was given down to us, we're not telling you that when we told you about the power of God through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. It is real. In fact, Peter's telling us that because this is the very essence of all of the arguments that try to perpetuate that what God says is not true. Then Peter, of course, in chapter two, following all the way down as we traveled through that chapter and he began to remind us of the absolute certainty of God's judgment upon those whose attitudes and actions would go against the very doctrines of the return of Christ. And he showed us by way of example, that even the angels, he didn't reserve, he didn't spare them. Just as he didn't spare the Andaluvian world that Noah lived in prior to the flood, nor did he spare Sodom and Gomorrah in their wickedness as they were eating and drinking and doing all that life afforded them by way of the gracious mercy of God so that they might see the grace of God and turn to him and yet they would not. And God rained down fire from heaven and turned them into ashes in a moment. And all along, up to that point in our study, we've been exhorted to trust the Word of God. Trust what God says. Trust what God says He would do. Don't depart from what God says. Be comforted by it. Realize that God knows how to rescue the godly and to reserve the ungodly, as He said in chapter 2. He knows how to rescue them from temptation. He knows how to rescue them from the day of judgment. Trust that. Believe that. And so what do we do? So what do we do as Christians as we live in a world that is so mocking to the return of Jesus Christ when the evangelical world in which we live is currently right now as we are here this morning beginning to deny the sufficiency of the word of God? Oh, they claim the authority of the Word of God that is authoritative. And yet, you need to look at the Word of God through means of some other hermeneutical uh, avenue. You need to make sure you look at the Scriptures through the lives of someone else who, who seemingly is an oppressed set of people in the world. And you can't understand the Scriptures until you do that. It's called critical race theory. Maybe you've heard the term. It's infected the church today. It's a heresy. It's a heresy. So what do we do? What do we as Christians do when this is not so far from us? Peter says we are to continue to stand for the truth. We are to continue to stand on the truth. We are to continue to preach and teach that Christ is returning. We are to continue to proclaim the truth concerning the resurrection. We are continued to stand on the word of God. And we do that even though we are ridiculed as religious freaks. We do that even though we are marginalized by the masses and marginalized by those who say they got a higher education than we have. You don't know what you're talking about. We do that even when we are laughed at for believing what we believe. even when those within the church come along and begin to say, where is the promise of his coming? We preach, and we preach Christ. And we continue to say that we are waiting in anticipation. We are waiting in anticipation. Someone says, but it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus Christ died and rose again, supposedly. It's been over 2,000 years since Acts chapter 1 when Jesus, when the angels stood there and said, why are you looking into the sky? It's been over 2,000 years. It's one thing to ask people of that day to wait. It's one thing for them to say, okay, yeah, we'll wait because they were there for them to stand fast in their belief about Christ that He would come back. It's one thing for them. They saw Him go. But on the grounds, what grounds do we stand fast? I mean, isn't it true, as some say, ever since the fathers fell asleep, verse four of chapter three, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So what's the point of asking us to stand fast in anticipation of the return of Christ when all the signs seem to be saying and seem to be indicating just the opposite is happening? Maybe you're here this morning. You've thought that way. Maybe in your Christian life, you've you've been drawn into thinking in those kinds of terms. Maybe you're wondering if this whole return of Jesus doctrine isn't just a crutch to hold people captive. Well, this is the argumentation that Peter begins to deal with. And there's probably no more important a time to hear it than right now in our time. I suppose every era of time could say that. All of us here this morning, we are thinking that we don't often, if ever, hear someone within modern evangelicalism come out and say the very words that we read here from the mouth of the Apostle Peter, their denial in these words, where is the promise of his coming? I don't know of any of us who actually has heard a false teacher say that. So is it really happening? In other words, it seems rather obvious that few, if any, bring their denial in the form of that question. But we also know that Satan is a deceiver. He appears as an angel of light, but he's nothing but darkness. And so within evangelicalism today, some may not say where is the promise of his coming, but they deny it through their own questions. And I find it interesting that when Peter was led by the Holy Spirit to caution us about the attitude and actions of false teachers, I find it ironic that he does it through the doctrine of eschatology. God could have picked any doctrine. He could have picked the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He could have picked Christology. He could have picked the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. He could have picked any of the grand doctrines and themes and doctrines that we know from Scripture. He could have picked any of them, but he picks the very one that within evangelicalism today, seems to be relegated to a secondary doctrine. He argues the point from eschatology. He informs us that false teachers deny the future coming of Christ. That's eschatology, folks. That's eschatological doctrine. That's end times talk. Popular today to relegate those things to a secondary position when it comes from Scripture, yeah, we, we can agree on our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, we can agree on our doctrine of the church, our ecclesiology, We can agree on all these things, but when it comes to eschatology, let's just have these little differences. It's okay, it's a secondary thing anyway. Well I'm here to tell you, it's never been secondary to God. There's not one doctrine that's secondary to God. They're all primary doctrines to God. And right here we see the very essence of which is being used and infiltrated into the church by false teachers. It's eschatology. It's eschatology. Where is the promise of his coming? Now today it may not be spoken of in those terms, but it's being asked in other ways. Someone may not be coming out and saying, yeah, where's the promise of Jesus' return? It's asked through other questions. Questions like, is there really going to be a millennial kingdom? That denies and that questions the return of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ in His return is setting up a millennial kingdom. In other words, to deny the millennial kingdom is to deny an actual return and reign of Christ on this earth. And that's at the heart and attitude of false teachers. But it isn't just questions concerning last time's things. It's the implications that come with denying and questioning last time's things that are related to other doctrines, like the doctrine of sanctification. Because the Bible tells us that he who has this hope in him, what hope? The hope of Christ's return purifies himself even as he is pure. That's sanctification. To express the hard attitude of a false teacher is to deny that sanctification is necessary for the Christian life. You just believe upon Jesus and go live the whatever way you want. That's a denial of sanctification which therefore is a denial of the return of Jesus Christ, even though you may say, I believe in the return of Christ, because what you're saying is you don't have a hope of his return because sanctification isn't necessary. Now, you may not have known that that's what you were thinking, but that's the reality. That's the implication of those Bible passages. In fact, I'll just show you it. Go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. I don't want you to go away and say, well, yeah, he talked about that, but he didn't say anything. He didn't show us. First John chapter two. Beginning verse 28. And now little children abide in him. That's a command, not a suggestion. Abide in him so that when he what? Appears. Well, oh, there's the belief in him returning right there. Little children abide in him. Remain in him. Walk by faith. That's the idea of that phraseology. Walk by faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because when he appears, you're going to have confidence, and you're not going to shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous. And you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of Him. Do you see the connection of the doctrines? The return of Jesus Christ, the appearing of Jesus Christ, that's eschatology. That's where is the promise of His coming? Jesus has promised He's returning back. Here He is now, the, the Apostle John, acknowledging the reality of that. Abide in Him so that when He does appear... You're going to have confidence, why? Because you're living as He's called you to live, because you know He's righteous. There's the doctrine of Christology. That's who Christ is, perfect, undefiled, holy, without sin, able to save, which includes the doctrine of soteriology. If He's not righteous, then He can't save us. They're all connected. You can't escape it. One leads to another. And if you know he's righteous, then you know you ought to practice righteousness. And the practice of righteousness is the outflow of someone born of him. That's the reality of a life. You cannot just say, I believe in Jesus and live like someone from hell. Can't do it. To do so is to have the attitude and action of a false teacher. False teachers may not come with the question laid out here in, 2 Peter chapter 3, they may not come with those very words, but it comes through the means of utter, other subtle questions, other doubts, ridiculing the truth and the effects of the entire gospel. Thereby, by way of implication, they are questioning the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so the baseline reality is that what they are against is in fact, the very essence of what the Bible teaches. They're against their essence of what the Bible teaches. They are promoting a different God. In fact, I, I probably shocked some people here this morning when I say this, but the new God of today, you know what the new God's name is today? Science. Science. Not science in general. Well, science in general is not, not not evil, not wicked. It's a process of trying to figure out things through a process. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a science that flatly denies and goes against the teaching of the scriptures. A science that denies the supernatural that relegates the supernatural to to not have any seat in their thinking. And it's amazing to me, particularly in our day and age today, it's amazing how so many Christians are acquiescing to the dogma of evolution and creationist evolution systems that are based on so-called science. So how does Peter answer that kind of claim? In other words, what is our protection against false teachers or what is our protection from false teachers? Well, Peter gives us the primary protection and we're going to spend this week and in, in, I'm going to have to return to this next week because there's just so much here for us. But the answer is really here in verses one and two in a, in a grave nutshell. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter says, listen, it's not a matter of science at all. It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of science. It's not a matter of empirical data. It's not a matter of statistics. It's not a matter of any of those kinds of things. Certainly those kinds of things can be helpful from time to time. But it's a matter of faith. Faith that accepts the scriptures and what the scriptures say As the true accounting. As the true accounting. Listen, the only reason we have the doctrine and the dogma of evolution is because evolutionists have removed the supernatural. They've disregarded God. Well, Peter says it's not a matter of science. That's not science at all. In fact, it's a matter of faith. You have to accept the Bible's account as the true account. In fact, in fact, the Bible tells us that there will in fact be a definite end to this world. Science says if we fix the globe, if we fix global warming, somehow we'll remain forever. Guess what? Wrong. Wrong. I don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. I don't have to be someone who knows weather patterns and and has tracked the heat and, and how the temperatures rise and the ocean levels and all these other kinds of things to know that. I don't have to know any of that. I just have to know what God said about it. Peter even tells us how it's going to take place chapter 3 verse 10 the day of the lord will come like a thief there's eschatology that's the return of the lord the day of the lord is going to come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up now i'm not a scientist in fact i never did very well in biology But I know what that says. Somebody can say that it's going to happen through global warming and all this other kind of theories and subjective inputs and all this other kind of stuff. All I know is here's what God says. When Christ returns, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. There is coming a day of cataclysmic judgment. And therefore, the same Bible that tells me of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ is the same Bible that tells me of how the world is going to end. It's the same Bible that tells me that Jesus is going to return. It's the same Bible that tells me that upon His return, He's going to set up an earthly kingdom in which He will rule in righteousness for a thousand years here on this earth. It's the same Bible that tells me that without sanctification, no one will see God. So why is it then that the whole idea of coming judgment, why is it so difficult to grasp why is it so difficult to grasp so that we are sober-minded in our living here and now because of the hope of His return? Why is it that a literal six-day creation is so difficult to embrace? Why is it that a literal and actual atonement for sin by means of the death of the God-man Jesus Christ only for those whom he saves is so troublesome. Why is that so troublesome for some of us to embrace? Well, Peter's answer is not that it's because the arguments haven't been good enough or that there hasn't been enough good reasons given for them. Now, Peter's basis for his entire answer is on the Scriptures themselves. In other words, the reason they're so hard to embrace is because it takes faith. I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So here in this letter, when it comes to the doctrine of the coming judgment, return of Jesus Christ, the coming judgment of Christ, Peter says, just like I wrote concerning all the other doctrines, just like I wrote concerning the doctrine of your salvation, what you have in Christ, all that you have been given by the promises of God, what I wrote to you about trials in my previous letter to you, what I wrote to you about how Christ interacted with the trials of life in faith and trust in God, what I wrote to you concerning any doctrine that I've ever written to you. These are not matters of reason by argumentation. These are matters of faith. These are not matters by which someone can come and say, well, I have a better argument for that than you. There is no better argument. The only argument that matters is God's argument, and God says, this is what I said, do you believe? In other words, we either accept the Bible in what it says, or we do not. There is no middle road. The reason these doctrines are difficult to embrace is because all of them are matters of faith. And we would rather, our flesh would rather have empirical facts, things that we can look at, things that we can touch, The fact of the matter is you either accept all that God has said as divine revelation or you reject it. And The Bible asks us to believe things that when we look at them through our own human logic, when we look at them through the eyes of mankind and the where man lives on this earth, they seem rather ridiculous. In fact, Peter gave a glaring example back in chapter two of two of them, a worldwide flood that killed everybody, but eight people, every, every community and ancient community in the world has some kind of traditional mythology about that Accounting seems rather ridiculous to human logic that the world would be flooded and only eight people. And then out of those eight people, the, the world in which we live happens to be and the, and it took 180 days for the, for the waters to recede. And another six months before Noah ever came out of the ark and how they survive for those six months. And, and God would send two animals, but two by two. And it seems rather ridiculous. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? These two cities. Okay. Yeah. It seems a little more logical that the, uh, well, there's was probably a large volcano, probably something that blew up and you know, like Pompeii, like it happened in Pompeii and the people got covered in ashes and all. sudden that's not how it says it. It says God rained down fire from heaven. You see folks, the Bible asks us to believe things that seem rather ridiculous. When we look at them through human logic, neither one of those two things seemed to make sense. The entire globe being flooded. And yet the Bible asks us to accept them without any hesitation. Believe it, it happened. What's your point, Pastor? My point is that the whole doctrine of the second coming to the natural mind, the whole doctrine of Jesus Christ returning to this earth from someone who has raised from the dead, that alone seems rather ridiculous. But now he's going to come back. It seems rather science fictionish, doesn't it? There is nothing that seems more outlandish than a Jewish carpenter who claimed to be God, who has long left this earth returning as God. Those things seem rather crazy. And after all, science shows otherwise. Science has proven otherwise. All things continue just as they have from the beginning. Don't think it was supernatural that those fossils ended up at the top of the mountains. Don't think it's supernatural that the Grand Canyon was made in a moment. Don't think like that. It was millions and millions and billions of years. Notice, beloved, that Peter... Peter identifies a name for those who reject in verse 3. Notice what he says. Notice, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Now, right there is the demarcation line between those who believe and those who reject. Notice what undergirds the believer. I want you to remember, verse 2, the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. That's what undergirds the believer. But what undergirds the mocker? They will come mocking with their mockings, following after what? Their own lusts. Peter says, I don't want you to follow after your own lust. I don't want you to follow your heart. I don't want you to follow that. I want you to follow the Word of God. The false teacher follows after his own lust. That's what they do. So Peter is saying to us that when false teachers come along and when they mock the second coming by however they're mocking it, subtly, forthrightly. Your best protection is not to have ten different arguments for why they're wrong. Your best protection is just turn to the Word of God. Just open the Bible. You know why I don't believe in evolution? Because Genesis 1 said, in the beginning God created. That's why. Why? But science says, and R19 dating or whatever the dating is says, doesn't matter. They're wrong. They're wrong. Well, you're just foolish. Okay. I'll stand. Better to be thoughtful standing with God than not and be standing with the crowd. You know why I believe in a worldwide flood? Because it says it in Genesis. You have those within the church today who are trying to demythologize the Old Testament. They're trying to say those are all myths. People within the church, leaders in evangelicalism today, what is known as evangelicalism, if we can even use that term anymore. Peter says, I want to stir up your sincere mind so that you're not going to be duped. What am I going to stir it up with facts about science facts about what is right and what is wrong by way of human understanding and human logic. Nope. I just want you to remember the words spoken beforehand by the Holy prophets. You can stop right there. Here's how I want to stir you up. Here's how I want you to think. I want you to remember what was spoken of by the Holy prophets. What's he talking about? Old Testament, talking about the Old Testament. You want to have protection against being duped by false teachers? Those who are denying the coming of Jesus Christ, which is to deny the coming judgment and the Christ's return, then go back and be renewed in your mind through what the Old Testament says. You want to say, Lord, I, I, I don't know. This is what they're saying. And I, I just don't, I'm not buying it. Open your Bible, turn back to the Old Testament, and read exactly what God says. Speaks a lot about final judgment in the Old Testament. And you know it's true. Because chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verse 20, refers to the Old Testament know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Why? Why is that the case? One's own machinations. They didn't bring it about themselves. That's what he's saying. It's not a matter of that. No prophecy of scripture. Why? Because no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. It was God the Spirit in God's people putting down god's words no prophecy of scripture that's old testament listen beloved this is our this is our protection from being duped by false teachers our best protection from being duped is to have your mind completely saturated in the scriptures Go back and read the holy prophets. That's what Peter's saying. Go back and read the holy prophets. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God. And if you go back and you read that, you're going to read about judgment. You're going to read about what's going to come when Christ returns. Listen, we live in the modern day. We can just pick up our electronic device and open our Bible app, search any word. People say, I don't have time to do that. That's a lot lot to do. Listen, just pick up a Bible app, open it up, type in your own phrase, search the phrase. Just search the phrase, judge the earth or judge the world. Just search that phrase. You're going to find passages that proclaim judgment. The judgment of God. Even go to the To the songbook of the Psalms. The songbook of the Psalms and judgment is everywhere. Listen to this. Psalm 96. You don't have to turn there. This is a Psalm of worship. It says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples for great is the Lord greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire and tremble before him all the earth. Say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He is, verse 13 says, "A he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. That's in the song book of the Lord. Just sing to the Lord about his judgment. He's coming. It's not simply in the Old Testament prophets. It's not just the Old Testament. It's in the New. Peter says look, don't just remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, but also remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. What's that? That's the New Testament. The New Testament is the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken through the apostles who were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. What's the commandment of our Lord and Savior? Believe upon me and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Judgment. Judgment. Because God said that his appointed man wants to die and then comes judgment. Hebrews 9.27, the wages of sin is death. Peter says, here's your protection. Here's your protection. Study the apostles who wrote the commandments of Christ. And so if we will study the scriptures, we'll find everything we need to know. Tells us that Jesus will come in the clouds, in the glory of the Father, in flaming fire. He will be accompanied by the angels. He will come unexpectedly, he will come as a thief. And the purpose of his coming is to complete the salvation of his children, that they might be glorified with him as believers in him. He's coming to judge, he's coming to reign. And so Peter says, know this first of all verse 3, that last days mockers will come with their mocking. And what he means by mockers is not here here's people coming with honest questions about what you believe, the Bible says, no, that's not mockers. Mockers come denying reality. They deny the reality of the truthfulness of Scripture. That's, the rea- that's, that's a mocker. The Bible is a supernatural book. The Bible is of divine origin. It is God's word, and therefore it's a miraculous book. It speaks of things that are beyond the reasoning of man's mind. So it tells us things of which we cannot reason in our own minds. Certainly we can think about them, but reasoning them all out only only comes about when we accept the supernatural. We don't understand the Trinity, but it speaks of the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit. And yet we don't know how all that works. But God said we are one God. The Bible tells us that creation itself happened miraculously, that God spoke and it was. God made things out of nothing as he manifested his power. Natural man refuses to believe that. So what does he do in his rejection? He determines to find what actually happened And therefore, he determines that all of this must have evolved from something. Reject the supernatural, you only have one thing left, and that is you as God. You must define how your world is. And of course, even that doesn't answer the final question, because man can come up with the answer in his own mind as to where he came from, but he cannot come up in his own mind where the initial something that he came from came from. Therefore, even the theory of evolution, apart from supernatural something, doesn't solve the problem. And yet, the very place where man and his thinking about evolution ends, where they can't solve the problem of the initial something from which they came from, that's where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. God created. That's Genesis one. So we don't look for answers without supernatural intervention. We look to God. We believe what he says. Even if it seems to be ridiculous. Because God said, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. In fact, Peter will even say this. One day is as a thousand years to the Lord. 1000 years is one day. So what's the Bible do? The Bible encourages us. It strengthens our faith by warning us ahead of time that mockers will come. That in itself ought to be enough for anyone to go, you know, I need to I need to believe what the Bible says because the Bible says mockers will come and certainly there are mockers here. Just that one verse ought to be a great comfort to us in our own faith as we see the rise more and more in our world of skepticism when it comes to the claims of biblical truth. The more mockers that come only proves more the truth of what the Bible says. The mocker today says that there's problems in our world, global warming's a problem, but that's not what the Bible says. Mocker today says that the great problem in humanity is systemic racism. That's not what the Bible says. Mocker today says the great problem in our society, in our world, is the need for equality among all people. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's the problem. Why? Because God made himself known. What may be known of God is manifest in them because God has shown it to them. Listen, the mocker's problem is not information. The mocker's problem is rejection. Rejection. Rejecting the truth. It's not what's going on around him in society and in the world. The mocker's problem is not what's happened in him. It's what's happened in him. He's rejecting the God who has made himself known following after his own lusts. The Apostle Paul says in Second Timothy chapter three, realize this: in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? Because men will be lovers of self; they'll be lovers of money; they'll be boastful and arrogant; they'll be revilers; they'll be disobedient to parents. That, that's just a, an overarching term for anti-authority. That really what that saying. They're anti-authority, they're ungrateful, they're unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. They're malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good. They're treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they even deny its power. They hold to it. They, they have this design that they fit themselves into and say, oh, we're godly. We're the people of God. They deny its power. What's the power of God? The Gospel. It's the power of God in salvation. God is the power. They deny God. They say we're godly, but they deny God. Paul says, you want to know what your response is to those kind of things, those kind of people? He says, avoid such men as these. Avoid them. Avoid them. Don't be involved with them at all. Let us not be like mockers. Let us not be taken captive by mockers. But rather, for us to be protected, let us be stirred up by way of reminder and turn to the Scriptures. Say, Lord, I I, I don't know what's going on. Let me open your word to hear from you. Because it's the Scriptures that knows man. It's the Scriptures that defines the world. And it knows man and defines the world more thoroughly than anything else. And the very nature of our times confirms that fact. We live in insanity right now. Calling evil good and good evil, it is insane the world in which we live. Why? Because they've denied the supernatural. They've denied God. Peter says, you want to be protected from all that? Turn to the word of God. That's your safe place. That's your safe haven. Turn to the word of God. Open the word of God. Read the word of God. Absorb yourself in the word of God. Remember God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have an irrational faith that we believe because you have granted it to us. And it is from that heart that we plead with others. We plead that they would believe. We plead that they would open their eyes to the truth, that they would turn to you. Stop denying. Stop rejecting. Stop relegating things to lesser places. You're a holy God. Your name will be glorified in all people, whether it be by salvation or by condemnation. Lord, help us to stand fast, to discern rightly, to go to the very place that we know truth, and that is your word, when it seems so confusing and so bizarre. And give us a strong stand in the hope and anticipation of your coming. And oh Lord, we pray, come quickly. Come quickly. All for your glory. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom name we pray. Amen.